0: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Handy to my beautiful Crips and Walkers. This is Jordan Schrader, and today we are going to talk about being stagnant and complacent in the American Church. Coming right up on Handy Schlapped. Okay, everyone, welcome back again. Today is Monday, February 15th, 2021. I hope all of you had a wonderful Valentine's Day, whether it was spending it with the Lord, spending it with families, or if you're blessed, spending it with your spouse or your other. And I hope all of you just had a wonderful time learning the joys of love, learning the beauty of what love is and loving each other and where love actually comes from. And that is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I personally do not have an other or a significant other to yet spend that holiday with. But I have faith. And more importantly, even though I get down about it and I know other people, a lot of us that do get down about it, whether you're handicapped, or disabled, or you're non-disabled, whatever. Um, The beauty of it, ironically, is that um, we all share the same feelings and uh, downtime and hardships as anyone else. We all share those things together. Because, you know, that's just part of the human experience. We all experience the same highs, the same lows, albeit in different ways. But they're all the same principles. And that's what unifies us. That's what really brings us together. Besides the Lord, it's the human condition, the human experience of these things that bring us together. Um, so we truly are never alone. Because we all have those same Feelings and emotions. We just reflect on them in different ways because of our life stories. Because of the choices we make. And because of... We're just human. Say it with me. We're all human. And it's okay to have those feelings. And it's okay to take those feelings to the Lord. To help you with them. To help you grow through them rather than just dismiss them, to help you confront them. And you know what? That can be a little uncomfortable. No one likes to be uncomfortable, especially someone like me, a disabled person who can't really move a lot on their own. For those of you that are disabled and you're listening to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, It sucks when you wanna move around and you have to get in just the right position To be comfortable, to be very self-aware of yourself and your surroundings and what makes you operate best. What makes you comfortable in where you are? You know, that's just a big thing about disability. You're very particular about your comfort level and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. That can be annoying for some people that have to help you, but you know what? That's life, and again, we're all human. We all do things that make us uncomfortable, and we all fear things, or we try to um, cancel out things that make us uncomfortable. Because, you know, the less we have to deal with, the better, right? And you know what? I'm seeing a lot of that attitude in life. I mean, I've seen it for years now. I mean, that, too, is part of the human experience. What makes us comfortable. Where do we find our comfort? Why do we seek comfort in certain situations when there are other options to take care of it? I see a lot of um, complacency going on in life, both in individuals and, I hate to say this, but I see a lot of complacency in the church particularly the American church. Complacency as in, you find just enough comfort and security to where you're content or okay in that level of security and comfort, but, and here's the definition, you are unaware of the danger lurking all around you because you're too comfortable to really pay attention. Or you're too comfortable to want to care. Because you're fine just where you're at, right? You're complacent. Complacent in your life. And we've become complacent in the American church especially. To the point that we're unaware of all the dangers. Or we're ignoring all of the dangers that surround and try to penetrate the American church, every single day. And they're getting in these intruders, false doctrine, false teachers that are taking away our identity as Christian believers. They're taking away our identity as disciples for God's kingdom. Taking away our fire. I ask you this. Where is the fire? Typically, that's a question when a danger is near. Hello, we're already in danger. We've been in danger for so long and we just put it to the side because it's not that bad or it's not that dangerous or we could be different countries. We could be like China. You know what? We're going to be like China sometime soon in the sense of where the church is at. We're going to be just like them if we don't start paying attention. What am I talking about? Well, I was just making observations and thinking about some things, having conversations, and just looking at how so many churches are stagnant. So many churches are under a false sense of security. Or I should say a sense of false security. And they don't even know it. Nor do they care. Because change is hard. No one likes change. I don't like change. No one does. But I know it's good. Or it can be good depending on how you look at it. And when we are in this state. We are in a great state. Of false vulnerability. Or should I say vulnerability as an illusion. Because, and I like vulnerability too. Vulnerability helps us get to know each other. Vulnerability helps us connect with one another. It helps us really uh, understand who we are and each other. But there is a big false side. There is a big drop in vulnerability. And that is putting our guard down at the wrong time in the wrong place, and that's just where we are in the American church. We have our guard down to the point of not worrying about false doctrine, false teachings, and false teachers waltzing into our congregations, scratching our ears at that terrible itch. False pastors without backbones, Coming up to the pulpit and teaching us all the same thing. Teaching us to ignore the temptations of sin. In the sense of, you're going to be tempted, but eh, it's no big deal. Eh, just be careful if you stumble, you stumble. Where is the rebuking? We're in such a nonchalant way or passe Understanding of theology, a nonchalant attitude of looking at the church. Every Sunday we go to church nowadays expecting to hear a positive message of empowerment, a positive message that will just make us feel better, to reassure us that we're just fine where we are, to reassure us that we're all okay because you don't need to take care of the problem if you don't want to. It's already been taken care of by Christ. Yes, in one sense that's true. Yes, Christ paid the penalty of sin, that is death. He paid the death, but he did not brush away all of the temptations. He did not say we would live without persecution. We're going to live more with persecution because we are in the faith. We're gonna be hated because the world hated Christ first. We will go through this life through a lot of trial and tribulation. We will go through this life through a lot of pain and suffering, but God has already got the victory. But that's also why we need to have sound theology, and sound discipline and discipleship in the church and in our lives to understand who God is and what it means to be a disciple. Not just going about in a comforting fashion by staying away from sin. I said this weeks ago that we may, we may talk about sin but no one likes to be called a sinner. I say that often because it's such an echo and a wave that continues throughout these years in the church. We don't like talking about the uncomfortable things. We don't like to talk about certain things at the pulpit. We try to abide under they confess, or what? What should I say? We should say that we try to abide under the census, what the people say, rather than what God says alone. And it's so sad because there are so many pastors that are falling under this. Pastors that are playing politics at the pulpit. They may not be preaching politics, but they're playing politics in the sense of. What does the congregation, what do these people want me to say so I don't stomp on any toes? They may do it once in a while, but rarely enough for it to be cemented into the minds of believers. What I mean is rarely now are we talking about the dangers of sin, the concept of sin itself taking away now the doctrine and the understanding of eternal damnation, throwing away and lessening, softening the penalty of sin, throwing away the risks of temptation, nullifying it, dismissing it, turning it down like a dimmer switch, keeping it low. That's from a trauma musical, uh, the Book of Mormon musical, but I digress. Ironically, Uh, so what we're looking at here is we are taking away the consequences of our actions. We've been doing that ourselves in our lives, though. Maybe we go through horrible things. All of us do at some point. I mean, yeah, you may have an easier life than other people, but that, that doesn't mean that your problems are any less important. Trauma is a big issue in the church and in life in general. So much trauma that it would take me forever to list off the the different forms of trauma. Trauma that has affected you in your life deeply. Trauma that you don't want to encounter or confront because that means we have to feel something. Rather than really confronting it, we choose something else. We choose to dismiss it. Or we try to use it for our own advantage. Which I can understand in some ways. Maybe you've been abused and you want to use it to help other people. That's great. But what I see so much, especially among the millennials. You see all these little independent movements within themselves. Like... uh, um, all these different self-therapy movements that they try to endorse and sell to other people. Um, maybe it's becoming a social media workout or exercise enthusiast. If that's what you do, great. But it comes to the point where I see all this pain inside these young women that are, again exercise enthusiasts that that becomes not only their outlet, but it becomes a form of what they think will be a cure. Or I see another movement um, such as a what's called a self-pleasure movement or self-pleasure therapy where we embody and embrace our urges. Embracing our enticements, embracing our sexual desires as therapy. Thinking that if we just get literally get in touch with ourselves, you'll get your life back. You'll get yourself back. By getting in touch with your sexual identity, you will get your life back. And that's just a list. There's so much of these little things I'm seeing on social media, with young women especially, who are doing these things as a way to regain control in their life. And you can just see in their eyes the past pain that they've been through. They may not say it, but you can hear it, and you can see it. The past pain that we all try To bury away. With. When I look at. These things. All of this self-affirmation. Self-affirmation. To affirm to ourselves. That. We are the ones. That got it. We are the ones in control. If we have control. Then there's nothing we need. To be afraid of. Because they may say like their lives were robbed. All of our lives are robbed. Robbed from someone that hurt you. And my heart feels for you. It really does. My heart feels for those who had their life stolen from them, who feel like their lives were taken away, hurt, trampled on, raped, abused, made a burden, All these things done to them by horrible people. Taking away your innocence, taking away your childhood, taking away who you are to the point where you have no idea who you ever were. Never finding yourself. And therefore going on these journeys of self-affirmation, these ways to validate ourselves, to give the illusion of Gaining back control of who we are. Gaining back what was robbed from us. And I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, as good as those things sound. Or maybe it's taking identity in politics. And I talked about this a few weeks ago, too. And I can see, or taking identity in sexual orientation taking identity in things you do, your job, whatever. I get that. Self-affirmation as a form of responding to trauma, a form of healing because we all want to be healed. We're just all looking different ways and following different paths for the cure. We all want to be healed, but we're still looking for the cure. We all want the cure. What is that cure? And when you don't find it, which many of us may not if we don't follow the Lord, and many of us are going to experience unhealthy thoughts. Um, Every Wednesday night, my buddy and I help out at a local youth ministry. And the youth pastor over there um, I have his permission to speak up a little bit on this. Um, he was discussing with the youth a short message on having unhealthy thoughts. Those unhealthy thoughts that tell you that you're nothing, that tell you that you're no good, that you should just go and kill yourself. Those type of messages, because that's what people may told you We have told you your whole life. Words that dig deep into your subconscious, and they hurt you then, and boy, when left untreated, they will show up again later in your life without a notification. They'll just show up, and it's amazing how those past words, those past wounds from other people, can come back and haunt you. Maybe you were bullied so severely, like many people I know were, and that stuff stays with you. It really does. Or maybe, like earlier I said, uh, we talked about rape. Um, I know a lot of rape victims um, that have responded to that very differently. Some people went and got help Some people got help their own way. Some people didn't get help at all and just buried it and let it fester. But the thing is, we don't know right away that burying those things, burying our pain, burying our trauma and hiding it under self-affirmation, using that only festers the pain. And it insidiously grows and contaminates us. It's intoxicating. And it poisons us. And we follow through and listen to these unhealthy thoughts. We fall under this vulnerability that gets at us whenever people try to rile us up. There comes a time when people will try to hurt us again or rile us up or attack us at our weakest points. Maybe they know secrets about us. Maybe they know our poison. They know our past traumas or our emotional hit points, and they use it against us to the point where we make the wrong decisions and we lose our security. We put our guard down, and we get hit hard, taken down. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, and anyone listening, that's how the devil works. That is the insidious pathway and the insidious attack that Satan uses against all of us. Not just believers in Christ, but all of us. Let me give you an example. Okay, so I'm re-watching the Marvel movies, okay? I'm uh, going in chronological order, and I've been w- looking at them, and some of them I'm watching for the first time. Uh, before today, I have not watched every single Marvel Cinematic Universe film, uh, but I've seen most of them. And I remember going to see the big ones, of course. Um, Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame the following year. And they're great. And I was watching um, one of the scenes in the movie. If you've seen the movies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Near the end of Infinity War, um, when Thor comes out of the sky, throws Stormbreaker, his hammer, at the enemy Thanos who has now collected all the stones and put them on the gauntlet, making him the most powerful creature in the entire universe. And with this glove, he has total control of time, of souls, of all forms of matter. And at the snap of his fingers, literally half of all living things in this universe, And the universe overall will go away. Will be wiped out. Because Thanos in the Marvel Universe, he's not a dumb villain. He's very smart. And he's very appealing. His plan makes sense. He's all about bringing balance. And complete balance to the universe. Because it's gotten so contaminated. Anyway. So it sounds good. But it's actually a horrible plan. So, Thor comes in to bring the final blow on Thanos. This is the big battle in the film near the end. All the superheroes are there. Everyone's attacking. It's huge. Uh, It's like almost Armageddon magnitude. Now, as Thor is about to do this, what he does is he doesn't do a quick kill. He makes it personal. And he slowly shoves the knife into the enemy. Into Thanos. Because Thanos earlier killed Thor's brother Loki. Okay. So Thor is making it a personal move. He wants Thanos to suffer. But then comes the iconic line of the movie. Thanos... Is in pain... From the stab wound... And Thor is loving it... But then Thanos looks up... And he says... You should have gone for the head... And then what does Thanos do? He snaps his finger... And... Over the next few minutes... Brilliantly done in the movie by the way... Over the next few minutes... All... Half of life... In the universe... Vanishes. Disappears. Gone. On a cosmic extent. Thor says. What did you do? And then Thanos just goes away. He gets out of Dodge. And then. It's, you're just breathless. As you see the crumbling. And the disappearance. Of all these Superheroes. It's scary. And earlier in the movie, to further my point, uh, Star-Lord, played by Chris Pratt in the Marvel movies, uh, he's about to hurt Thanos as well. But meanwhile, all the other superheroes, Spider-Man, Iron Man, they're ripping the glove off of Thanos, the most powerful man and the, or creature. And ripping the Infinity Gauntlet off of Thanos. If they can get it off, you'll be totally vulnerable. Interesting enough. But Thanos, talking to Star-Lord slash Chris Pratt, is getting into his emotions. Getting to his weak spots. To the point where Star-Lord becomes emotionally compromised. And the superheroes... ...are about to get the glove off, but they fail. Thanos gets the glove back. And it's a chain reaction all from there. So we have two failed moments... ...to take down the enemy. To take out the center. What's my point? Is that even the superheroes... ...had their weak spots. And Thanos... ...you could say the Satan... Of this universe, if you want to go that route, he knew them and he knew them well, and he used it against them. I mean, there are other reasons, little reasons, why the superheroes failed at the end of that movie, but that's one of the main ones is that Thanos um, used the superheroes vulnerability against them. He used it personally. Personally used it. He used it against Star-Lord to make him emotionally break down. And he used it against Thor. Thor thought he was making Thanos suffer. But it was only a distraction. When we put our personal vendettas before ourselves, When we put our personal weaknesses out there and we become exposed at the wrong time and in the wrong place, we get hit. And we get hit hard. That's what happened in the Marvel films at the end of Infinity War. They were distracted. They were personally attacked. And they were exposed, and Thanos used it. And at the end of that movie, at least, he won. And the movie's over. We had to wait a whole year for Endgame to come out, and that's a different story. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, when you saw that, you felt it. And I see it like this now, not only in my life and in all of our lives, but I see that now as well in the church where we're distracted. We're distracted with trying to please other people. We're distracted with things we may be doing and we're too complacent in our lives under false security, not knowing of the danger that's right under our noses or in the church itself. Follow Following false doctrines, or letting governments dictate how we are to worship. Letting politics control the pulpit rather than Christ himself. Getting burned in our lives from trauma, not knowing how to heal from it. Going to other worldly things that we hope is secure but only festers our pain. Even superheroes like Captain America or Thor or Star-Lord, even they got distracted. They unintentionally let the enemy use their weaknesses and their personal... vendettas against them until it was too late and they lost so when we try to do things our own way when we become too complacent and comfortable in our life thinking we're secure but danger is still all around us without us even caring even in the church how we're allowing the church to change before our eyes because we don't want to confront sin. We don't want to confront ourselves. We don't want to find that healing. Is Jesus really enough? I ask you that. And then you have unhealthy thoughts about yourself, suicidal thoughts, because you did not yet find the cure. Or in the words of Thanos, You should have gone for the head. Or you should have gone for the center. You should have gone to the origin. Snap your finger. That's it. And we also um, I have to think of this other example. Um, A couple of years ago, I went to a men's retreat or uh, a men's ministry conference called No Regrets. They have a lot of different speakers talking about different topics in the church and ministry, um, specifically for men, and one of them was called Kill the Spider. It was about addiction or pornography addiction, or you could just say sin in general. And the problem was this guy kept taking away the cobwebs of his sin. to clean it up a little bit, get rid of all the cobwebs, make it look nice, But what happened? The cobwebs kept coming back. You know why? Because he didn't kill the spider. Or he didn't go for the head. He didn't go for the core, the meat. He didn't go for that, the heart of the matter. And it kept coming back and it got the best of him. Personal attacks from the past, personal attacks now past trauma, whatever, finding our ways to cure ourselves, but suffering from unhealthy thoughts. Is Jesus really enough? We read right now in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, and that God's truth is gonna bring division even in our own households, our own families. God's truth will bring division and separate us. But that's when we have to stand true to him. Studying our Bibles, getting closer to God through prayer every day, getting close to him through each other, community, edifying each other as believers, sharing the gospel with those who have not heard. God's word will bring division, God's true word. We are unified in Christ, but his word, because of its power, because of its exposure of us, how we look in the mirror and we see ourselves, that's God's word so that we can get it out of us. We can go for the head and cut it off to kill that that desire for that sin, to kill the spider, not just cleaning up the mess, but cleaning up and killing the cause of it. We can't do that when we lessen or weaken the severity of sin, softening the temptation of sin, nonchalantly just brushing it off no we need to preach on sin we need to expose our sin and we need to be on watch and be cautious and be with christ at all times as we read in proverbs chapter 28 verse 13. i'm reading from the new american standard bible 95 by the way he who conceals his transgressions Will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them, forsakes them, will find compassion. In other words, confess your sin, be repentative, live a repentive lifestyle, so that you may be truly free of the sin in your life, free from the trauma that's held you back, free from the pain that has hurt you in your life, free from all of the past horrors, the past people that have hurt you, free from all that. In Jesus' name I ask you. Is Jesus really enough or are we too comfortable to care? Is it the Jesus of the Bible or is it the Jesus we made up in our own minds that we're finally just okay with? Always go for the head. Always know that Jesus is the cure, not other ways that will make us look like we're feeling better. Making it look like to other people that we're okay just so we can feel self-affirmed, to feel validated from other people when it only matters to Christ. I ask you that today, and I ask you to reflect upon that. Are you too comfortable, and is Jesus really enough? Is your church too complacent? Is sin being shared at your church? Is your pastor preaching from the pulpit or a political platform? Think about those things as you reflect upon your relationship with Christ or or whatever you're going through in your life. help us to grow together let's pray together shall we dear heavenly father i thank you so much for who you are lord god for your majesty and your word lord for your word stands now today and forever lord god or i should say yesterday today and forever through all time your word stands and never changes help us to get back to your word Lord God, to be on fire for your word again, Lord God, to stand in your word, to live your word, to share your word with other people, Lord God, to be reflections of your kingdom, to attack the sin in our lives, to go for the head and to kill the spider, Lord God, and to not let Satan use our personal weaknesses against us to use our personal vendettas against us that will hurt us. Lord, help us to focus on you so that things may not fall apart. Help us to be smart in your word, Lord, and to stand tall in it. To be healed, Lord, for you are the true healer and the great physician. Nothing else. Lord, I thank you so much for all who are listening today. Lord, just be with us, Lord God. Help us to not be too comfortable so we can always be on watch and be ready for you, to always be ready for you and your return and everything, Lord, to be a strong disciple and to live the cost of discipleship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for everyone that's listening. This is Jordan Schrader at Handy Schlaft. If you want to continue the conversation, please go on to facebook.com slash Jordan Schrader or email me at jordanrobert71 at gmail.com. This is Jordan from The Handy Schlaft Show. I thank you. God bless you. And as always, stay classy. Take care.